May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I grew up in a Lutheran family. Um, huge disappointment, I'm sure. <laughs> no, not really at all. But a Lutheran family in a town filled with Germans. Um, I don't remember, I'm not kidding about this, I don't remember a single Italian family in my town. I don't remember a single kid in our school who was Italian. Or anybody else that was, you know, you were African-American or German, that was it. I mean, those were your two choices, or, or this about. Um, and, and for most of my childhood, um, you know, I kind of lived in this, this pool of, uh, of German Lutherans. There was a church in our town called Fifth Lutheran. Okay, Fifth Lutheran in a town the size of Canton. Um, I think these were the less inventive Lutherans, you know, like um, they built a church and somebody said, so what are you going to call it? Oh, I don't know, you know, what are our options? Well, there's already First Church and St. John's and we got Good Shepherd, Zion. I guess that makes us the Fifth Church. We'll call ourselves Fifth Lutheran, you know. I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing. These are my people, you know. They're not very inventive. By the time I was born, I think there were eight or nine Lutheran churches in this town, you know. So there were, there were Lutheran church, five Catholic churches. All five Catholic churches were German Catholic churches. I mean, this is, this is what you have, this, um, this very uh, uh, sort of uh, shallow uh, kind of uh, ethnic diversity going on in Springfield, Ohio. Um, we Lutherans uh, never mixed our, ecclesi- our uh, ecclesiastical lives and our superstitions. I always thought that was a real downfall of our religion, you know, that we never actually combined the two because you could, and there's lots of ways we did it. I always envied the Roman Catholics, you know, that, that they had um, they had statues and uh, they had they had things that they could use to kind of hold on to, and um, you know, we had we had superstitions, lots of them. My grandmother was fiercely superstitious. She, uh, I, many times I would be in the car with her, she would stop and turn around and go, you know, eight blocks out of her way to go home because a black cat had run across the street in front of her. That was a big thing, you know. No shoes on the table, black cats who crossed your paths, you know, uh, I can't remember, broken mirrors. Bad things always occurred in sets of three, according to grandmother, you know. Like, why is that so? And the, the number 13, Fridays, she had a list of these things that she was... Interestingly enough, grandmother's birthday was January 13th, which would roll around on Friday ever so often, and it was, it was a dreadful day for her, um, Friday the 13th. Knock on wood, she was always a big one about that, you know, all these sorts of things. The thing I envied about the Roman Catholics was the statue of St. Anthony. This was, this was the one I really wanted. Do you, you, you know, St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost things. And I would lose things all the time. I've constantly, my entire life has been one long search for the things that I've lost. And, and my Catholic friends, before they could even ride a bicycle, they would learn this little prayer. You know, St. Anthony, please look around. Something is lost and it must be found. What a wonderful little prayer. You know, had I known that I could have called upon someone else to pray for me, I would have done that. You know, we didn't have that advantage. And then, you know, if St. Anthony didn't, if he didn't react quickly... My little Catholic friends, would they would take the baby Jesus out of St. Anthony's arms. You've seen this, right? He's holding it. They would take it and put it in a box. They would hold baby Jesus hostage until something that was lost was found. Who knew that that was an option, you know? I felt like I had been robbed my entire life. I'd been, you know, get moving, St. Anthony. My whole life. Keys, books, Clothes. How do you lose clothes? You're wearing them. You know what I mean? And my mother would say stuff like that to me. Uh, tickets, money. If you have something that's valuable and you want to hold on to it, 
Here's my advice. Never give it to me. I will lose it. This is the way I work. Well, I read a story this week about this woman in Sweden. Her name is Leah Paulson. Okay, Leah Paulson, her husband Ola, their daughters live on a small farm in, the, in, the, in central Sweden uh, near uh, this town called Mora. Story goes back to 1995. Uh, Leah was with her, um, her Lena rather, was with her children in the in the kitchen. Her two daughters and they were making Christmas cookies. And so they're going about the whole process making Christmas cookies. And so Lena takes her wedding ring off and she lays it on the counter. And they go about their business and they're baking all afternoon. And then you know, and then and then it's time to clean up. And they're working together cleaning up and everything's cleaned up. And and the last thing Lena did before she went to leave the, the kitchen was to put her wedding ring back on. But it was missing. And so she started searching for it, and she searched all over. Now, Sweden is a hotbed of Lutherans, so I'm guessing, you know, St. Anthony never got called in on this mission. Um, But here she is. She's searching all over, and and they can't find it. And and so she employs, you know, Ola, her husband, and the daughters. Everybody's looking, and they can't find it. Two years go by. She can't find Every wedding ring is special. This one more so. Lena had designed it herself. And so she, she, this wedding ring that was so precious to her meant so much two years gone. She finally convinces her husband, Ola, that she needs to retile the kitchen. Her motive, though, has nothing to do with the tile in the kitchen. She's sure that if we rip up the floor, we'll find the wedding ring, you know. And, and so he does it. They rip up the floor. Still can't find it. Sixteen years later, Lena's out in the garden, and she's pulling up carrots. And she pulls out a carrot... And around this carrot, right up through the middle of it, is this shiny ring. And she looks closely. It was her wedding ring. He had managed to get from the kitchen into the the garden. And 16 years later, a carrot grew straight up through it. And she plucked it out and found her wedding ring. Can you imagine that? In the garden, pull out a carrot. There's the ring that was lost 16 years ago. Sometimes we find the things that we're looking for. But sometimes the things that we're looking for seem to find us. And in the book of Acts, there's a story about this man called Philip. Philip was um, one of the uh, seven chosen to take care of the widows in the church, uh, often called one of the first deacons. And Philip receives this word from the Lord. And it is this, go to this certain road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. The Lord doesn't tell Philip why he's supposed to go. He just simply tells him to go. And Luke adds this little caveat. After the word of the Lord came to Philip, you know, go to this certain road. And Luke says, this is a desert place. I think he tells us that because if it was me, I would say, you want me to go there? (laughs) This is what we would say, right? Lord, are you sure you said Gaza? Because it sort of sounds like you said Hawaii. I think maybe you got confused. You know, this isn't really, no, go to this street, this road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He doesn't tell him what he's supposed to do. And Philip goes. Luke doesn't give us all the details. This road is 40 miles long that goes from, uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so I'm, I'm kind of guessing that Philip was out there walking. And he was walking. And he was, I see him sitting by the side of the road, don't you? And he's, he's just kind of looking around, you know, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? You know, is there, is there something going to happen? Can you imagine that? Maybe he's, you know, hailing down a, you know, a cab here and there. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to go walk the whole way, but he's out there on the road looking for what's going to happen. Imagine, I tell you, a word of the Lord came to me. 
you're supposed to go up on Route 306. You know the one that goes from Aurora up to Mentor? I want you to head up that road. And you might say to me, why? <laughs> okay, where am I supposed to go on that road? Oh, just, just go on up there. You'll, you'll know when you get there. That would be odd, wouldn't it? And this is exactly what Philip does. And so he's on this road, and after some time passes, he sees this fancy, you know, carriage. It's, it's a royal carriage. It probably has, like, like gold around it. it. It has, like, a royal seal on it. There are probably soldiers, you know, maybe three or four anyway, who are on horses mounted beside this carriage, carrying swords, looking rather fierce. And in the carriage, there is a, a man in the back. There's a driver up front. There's a man in the back, and, and, and he's a rather large, rotund African man. And I imagine Philip looks up and he sees this sight, and he probably thinks to himself, well, isn't that interesting? You know, this isn't something you see every day. You know? But he probably thinks that this has nothing to do with his point for being there. You see, this man is an African. He, he's not of uh, a, a Hebrew origin. He's, um, he's uh, the, uh, the treasurer to the queen. And because he has to work around um, royal women, he's been castrated. So he's not a threat to the king. And he's this big, huge man. And, and he's sitting up here in this carriage. And, and Philip probably looks at him. And, and listen, if you had been castrated as he had been, you were viewed to be outside of the realm of, of a practicer of Hebrew religion. Eunuchs were not allowed to practice Hebrew religion. So Philip would certainly look at this man and think, you know, he's an outsider on every category. This certainly is not the point for me being here. Until he hears the man. The man is, he has a scroll. And I imagine Philip thought, how in the world did he get that scroll? I mean, these are very valuable. They're, they're, they're sacred to Jews, but they're also very costly. How does he have this scroll? And I recognize, I recognize what he's reading. He's reading a scroll of the prophet Isaiah in Hebrew. He's reading this. And why is he doing this? And so Philip is, he's interested. He, he, he kind of draws close to see what's going on. And the word of the Lord comes to Philip a second time, doesn't it? Go up to the carriage. Go up to the carriage. This is the only two times that the Lord told him where to go, and now he's told him to whom he's to go, but that's it. No, no other command is given, right? Go to this road. Go to this man. Philip draws close and he says, have any idea what you're reading? And you heard the story, right? The Ethiopian says, well, how could I possibly know? I'm, I don't know what's going on here. You know, get up here. Let's, let's talk. That's the way it reads in my Bible. I don't know how it reads in yours. But he's it, it, come on up here. And, and, and Philip gets up in the carriage. I mean, I can imagine Philip, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's just a poor peasant probably. He's like looking around like, wow, this is a nice carriage. <laughs> and, and they're riding along. And, no, no, no. We have to talk about something here. And this Ethiopian is engaging him. What is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? The suffering servant passage. You know this one, right? Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then Isaiah goes through and he tells the story about the suffering servant who would give his life as a ransom for the world. And Philip jumps in and says, you know what this is about? It's about Jesus. Listen to what, he, what Luke writes in Acts 8.35. Then Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning with this scripture, this one here, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's really a tame translation. He gospeled Jesus to him. That's what, that's what Luke really says. He gospeled uh, Jesus to him. He, he told him the story. And the eunuch listened to the story, and here's how I think it ended. And if you want to follow Jesus, here's what you need to do. Repent and be baptized. You say, what? How would you know that that's how he ended? Because what does the eunuch say? There's water right here. What's stopping me from being baptized? And they stop the chariot. They go down. He gets in the water, and Philip baptizes him right there. Baptizes him. And here's the interesting thing. All of a sudden, Philip is gone. We don't know what happened to him, but he, he's, he's gone. You see, this is a story about someone who lost something and has found it. It's about God who does the finding, doesn't he? He finds this Ethiopian eunuch on his way from Jerusalem down to Gaza, down to, down to, back to Africa. If you know the Lord this morning, I mean, if, you, if you know him, if you have a personal relationship with him, you know this much is true. You know the Lord not because you found him, but because he found you. There's a great Charles Wesley hymn. We have to learn it. We, it's called And Can It Be. It's sort of the theme song of, a, of Asbury Seminary. It, it, it goes like this in the third verse. Uh, Wesley says, this is 18th century hymn, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I want you to imagine something. Imagine you were in a jail cell. Somewhere in a part of the world you've never been. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows how you got there. You're chained to the wall. There's no lights. And in that jail cell, you all of a sudden have some lights come on. You know, you look around. Someone comes, unlocks the door, unlocks your, your chain, says, come on, let's go. And you get up and you run out. Who, after experiencing that, would say, I'm sure glad I found you? No, what would you say? You would say, I'm so glad you found me. You, you rescued me out of that cell. If you know the Lord, you know he found you. But if what you've experienced in your life is, is an affinity towards religion, a warmth towards religion, a sense of, of, of the reality of God, but, but you have no real sense of his presence in your life, you, you, you just kind of feel like well, this means something, but I'm not sure how it all fits together. Well, you know what? It's a sign that God is looking for you. Now imagine yourself back in that jail cell. Imagine that. You're in there. You, you know, you're all locked. The lights are out. You're chained. You can't go anywhere. But you hear somebody outside, you know. You hear some rustling around. It doesn't sound like the guard. It sounds like a different voice. In fact, it sounds like a friendly voice. What would you do? You know what you would do. You would do the only thing you could. You'd scream out, right? Come. I'm in here. Somebody come and let me out of this place. What's preventing me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch says. That's his way of saying. Come, help me. Let me out. The penultimate verse in this passage is this, Acts 8.39. 
And when they came up out of the water, that is uh, um, the, the eunuch and Philip, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, look at this, and went on his way rejoicing. I don't know if, the, if Luke, the author, means us to understand that, that Philip sort of, you know, miraculously transported out of the area. You know, maybe that's, that's what happened. Maybe it was that Philip was told by the Lord, all right, your work is here is done. Now head north. And he takes off. But what I do notice is, is the end, and he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch. Now, they, they've been best friends for like 20 minutes or whatever, you know. It, it's hardly lasted any time at all. This guy introduced him to the Lord, and all of a sudden he's going. I would think that would be a cause for sadness. But it's not. It's a cause for great rejoicing. You know, you want to know why? Because the eunuch wasn't looking for Philip. He went to Jerusalem looking for God. And on his way home, he was found by him. Being found by Jesus, now that is indeed a cause for celebration. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.